0: This is the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Ciroclad, featuring one-on-one interviews with designers, contractors, city managers, and civic leaders, as well as thought leaders committed to sustainability, innovation, and solutions that are attractive, affordable, and create healthy living environments. Our podcast eliminates the challenges, breakthroughs, and proven solutions brought to industries, organizations, and our communities. The Architecture and Innovation Podcast is underwritten by Ciroclad. The Ciroclad Rainscreen Fiber Cement Siding System, a proven track record of performance in Japan for nearly 40 years. Zero chemicals, triple coated, and factory finished color layering. The ceramic and photocatalytic coat provides 365 days self-cleaning and a 20-year fade limited warranty. This high-performance siding system serves as an honored innovation with parent company Panasonic and Kubota. For more information, please visit siraclad.com. For our guest today, we're really honored and super excited to welcome Cass Calder-Smith, founding principal of Cass Calder-Smith Architecture and Interiors with offices in both San Francisco and New York City. We'll do a, um, a brief bio of Cal- Cass Calder, earned his bachelor's and master's of architecture from the University of California, Berkeley, and has served on the San Francisco Arts Commission for um a number of years and is currently on the board of the Jurassic Residence Artist Program designing their award-winning Diane Middlebrook Studios a native of New York City he's lived in California since 1972 and divides his time between both coasts Cass welcome to your show how are you doing I'm good thank you for having me oh honored really Cast, we we talked. Uh, we'll touch on what we did before. Is is uh, this will be the first? Is uh, we said, how do we? How would you describe it? And this is a bold for you. Is Cass Calder Smith the essence of Cass Calder Smith? Since your audience loved it, so that's a question to me. You want to know how I describe the essence of
1: Cass Calder Smith, right?
0: Yeah. Well, let's go for it. I mean, how would you? if, if you can take an essence and take a uh, hologramic, is that, I don't know if that's a word, a holographic view of you and uh, the essence of you as a person and a professional.
1: Yeah, okay. As a person, uh, I would say a hybrid between a New Yorker and a Northern Californian. I like to move quickly, be clear, somewhat assertive, like people from New York. At the same time, I uh, love northern california and the outdoors and what it looks like and the ocean and the mountains and then professionally on the other side or not really the other side but just professionally i'm pretty much take architecture a little bit like a religion like many architects actually we just it's kind of all we do. It's a lot of what we think about. It's how we see the world. It's how we experience. And then we constantly are applying it to design kind of at all scales and different types of projects. It becomes a way of life. Maybe that's not always so good, but
0: generally I like <laughs> it. I going to segue on that all scales riff is we were talking before the show for your audience today and you were sharing, say, you got to listen to Tom Verlaine and, and Knock, Knock, Knock on Heaven's Door, the, the tune, and and you called it, it's legitimate art. Share with, with your audience, legitimate art, because that's the first I've ever heard that. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: that song by Dylan, which he wrote in 1972, I believe, for the movie Billy the Kid, and uh anyhow, he wrote Knock on Heaven's Door for that, and then everybody's been doing covers for many, many years. And Tom Verlaine did one in 84, I believe, and did it live and did it his own way. And it's it's got this sound and very personalized approach to it that is characteristic of Tom Verlaine, who's quite an artist. But what I think really, to me, makes art in general and you see it applied to movies and paintings and music and many other things is when you have a large idea, that's a good one, and the details worked out really well. So you've got range. It spans from big to small. And you can think that through because if you see something that's only a big idea, might be okay, or only a small idea might be okay. But I think to really make it justifiably are you've got to have both. If you think of the Rolling Stones or U2, big and greatly detailed. If you think of Jericho's Raft of the Medusa at the Louvre, huge painting, but you get in close, the details are amazing. Um, and I think that the song is a big song and always has been. And then the detailed way that he plays it because of his guitar playing is really great.
0: How can you relate it to your work? Because I've seen, just from what I've seen of your work, there's not it's not too dissimilar for what you're describing. I don't know if you've, anyone's ever brought that to your uh, attention.
1: Yeah, it's not in all of my work, but it's a quest. And when I look back, it's part of the way I get inspired or what I learn and use from the masters. Usually they're not alive anymore, but if you think of Mies van der Rohe and Le Corbusier, and if you go way back to Palladio even they were doing things that nobody had ever done before so to me that was big and some of these projects were pretty epic but they the bigness to me in those is the newness big world thinking and then when they pull it off and they execute it with really good details that's the architecture version so that's what we Try to do all the time. It's not always appropriate. Some projects are just about the details. It's pretty rare that a project's just about big. I don't think it really ever is for us. Sometimes it's really most a lot of details that add up to a a good project.
0: That uh, to make it like that, especially timeless, which I see your work, I would call it timeless, is uh, that's a tremendous a lot of amount of mental and emotional work. What's your thought on that? To, yeah, to get it it's like true. That?
1: I it comes from being. I would say well trained at berkeley the the lessons of kind of fundamental lessons of architecture are don't be fashionable be timeless for a lot of what i would say obvious reasons you you do want the architecture to last a long time but you don't want it to be a fad and and seem out of place or disliked soon and usually timeless just is fundamentally good at you have nice natural light, for instance, and good views and proportions of rooms and spaces. And, you know, when you get basic, some of the basics really right, generally it's going to be pretty timeless. And it's interesting to just watch that over time. Like fashion is not meant to be timeless. It's great. It probably shouldn't be. Although, you know, you're going to get a a classic wool suit or something and that's going to be timeless and you're going to own it forever. But generally fashion is seasonal. And that's what it's about, which is good. And some architectures that way too, you know, like nightclubs are, and some restaurants and bars. To be successful, they need to be more fashionable than timeless. But I'm a I'm, me and most architects, I would say, the card carry modernists, like many of us are, are into uh, the timeless. And then the thing that goes with that too, that kind of goes back to the artistic, is is creating masterpieces, iconic masterpieces, and you know, you go back in time and. There's a lot of them. You don't always make it. You try and some get there. You need a really good client who's committed to the
0: masterpiece as well. Can't do it on your own. I'm going to go back to the word, you mentioned the word range. What's that mean to you or for you? Well, if, if you go back to one of my projects, I'll
1: just use an example. When I designed restaurant Lulu in 1992 long time ago. I was still, I was in my last semester at Berkeley. I was pretty young and I got to design a restaurant in an 8,000 foot warehouse in San Francisco. And it was a big building, first of all, and it was a warehouse and it was spatially exciting. And so I was like, this place has to stay big. I just, it, it was exciting. And then I thought, okay, this needs to be an outside space. And I came up with this idea that was based on piazzas in Italy or palaces in France and this and that, but outdoor European places that feel better at night than in the day. And I took all the principles of what I thought that was, and I used that to do this restaurant. And so the restaurant became kind of urban design, which is large, and it became a larger idea, I think, than just architecture. And then when I executed it, all the way down to the small things i went for it as well like the kitchen had a large scale and a small scale it had two large wood burning ovens that faced the dining room like and a big kitchen lined up so that was somewhat epic you know to me epic means big and then down to the we designed the tables and picked the wood and the detailing so it went all the way down and when somebody went in there the details were more tactical tactile sorry and then the space and the way they're experiencing it, a little more like an urban design experience, um, they get both. And so to me, that was,
0: I would say it's qualified. I like the uh, phrase you had said, and then I went for it. How much does fearlessness factor into that type of decision?
1: It's sovereign. <laughs> it's, okay. it's around. Yeah, I think you... You gotta have some, you need some guardrails and limits <laughs> and it's it's good to be a little bit fearless. Uh, I think that it makes you think things over more carefully because you don't wanna make a mistake, but it's a good way to start. And then you kind of, you might temper it down it usually will come from fear. Sometimes it'll come from clients, sometimes they're afraid of it, or um, there's other factors. I don't like fear to get in the way too much. Generally, I like to take bold moves, kind of fearless moves, and then do them very carefully. So there's kind of a risk, but then you, you get the, you diminish the risk by doing it
0: very carefully. Terrific show. You're listening to the Architecture and Innovation podcast. We're talking today with Cass Calder-Smith, founding principal of Cass Calder-Smith Architecture and Interiors. For more information, feel free to visit their website at CassCaldersmith.com. Cass, can you share some of your recent project? You don't have to name any names unless you'd like to with your audience.
1: Uh, yeah, I can mention a few. In Healdsburg, we did a large restaurant on the plaza called the Matheson. I would call that an epic, kind of falls into the category of large and large, big idea and a lot of nice little details. It's a three story restaurant. It's quite large, a few hundred people fit in it. It's got a roof deck, mezzanine and a main floor, all open kitchens facing the plaza, probably the best piece of real estate in the town of Healdsburg. Mm. And uh, so that's a great place. And it's very casual, and I think what my team did well, I should say it's not at all just me. There's a number of people in my company that we work together. We really tried to channel Sonoma County and a little more specifically Healdsburg. And I think we did that pretty well. It's not too fancy. It's somewhat natural materials. Uh, It's kind of big like barns and things are up there. It's not off-putting and people that's what they comment on they, they say yeah you you got it right for the location mm-hmm. and I think that's really important in restaurants and retail especially in restaurants because you want to feel like you know you want to eat the local food you know if you're visiting the ocean you want to eat seafood if you're in Sonoma mm-hmm. you want to eat food from there so that's a big one and then uh, we did a house we're doing a nice house in uh, Los Altos, one story courtyard house, very modern, kind of a mid century house. We love to do houses. That's a, a great one. And the client is very much into it being a masterpiece. And so that'll be pretty iconic. And then the, uh, the large, large scale of work that we are doing for the last 10 years that's completely different is we're doing ground up buildings in Saudi Arabia that are in Riyadh and they're these mixed use buildings that are about two-thirds outdoor shopping and community space and about one-third office and non-retail services one of them we're doing is three football fields long another is about six and they're under construction we finished one already that's really a hit and so those are fun and we only do design we do some of the details but those are we kind of
0: just do the big the epic the uh masterpieces iconic do you think there's an a formula for that for those attributes i think kind of what i was saying if 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 there's a
1: formula well i would say a few things it some of it is just the way you work there tenacity and tenacity and thinking through options as much as you can flipping things over looking at them backwards to make sure that you probably are doing it the best way you can you never know but hopefully but that other thing we were talking about where range I think is part of the formula if you can come up with a big idea that's proper or appropriate likable and then execute it well all the way down to the details usually works. And I think it applies to many other things, like I was saying.
0: Yeah. How how about even a transference into a personal life? Do you think that works as well?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I think about that because I live in two cities. I live in New York and I live in San Francisco in the Bay area. So having range, it's a little different than large and small, range like i'm talking about in design and art but i find that i guess i've learned it over the years is having range in your life is a little more interesting than less range and and as i've spent more years going back and forth and fine-tuning how much time i spend in each place a lot of that is range like for instance new york is such a concentration of culture that i mostly do cultural things in new york it's just like right outside the door and then when i'm in the bay area which has a lot of culture especially san francisco for a small city is really pretty amazing but i don't really do it out there i just i'm I'm getting enough of it in new york so i do things that are more northern californian go to sonoma go to marin hang out on my roof deck enjoy the weather and so that's the range. I've got the urban in New York and the less urban out west.
0: With that range, there's gotta be a ability to be flexible, the ability to adjust and to work with, I'll say this, constraints. What's your thought on that?
1: Yeah, architects are usually gonna turn out better projects with constraints. We just, we need them. Some of us will, I think we'll create them if we don't have them. We might not do that, but we do. And then, but there's a lot of constraints. There's building codes and there's client budgets and all these things that are playing around with you all the time. And you've got to look at them as, you can't look at them as enemies. It, it's pretty easy to, but you've got to, you got to realize that it's a certain form of pushback that makes you try a little more creatively to come up with options and it usually, it usually does. When you see architects that don't have a lot of pushback, like maybe the planning department just says, great, go ahead, or the client <clears throat> doesn't exist, maybe they're doing stuff for themselves. Sometimes those projects are pretty good, but usually they're not their best work. You can usually find an architect's better work where they had sort of, I'm not sure if that's always constraints, but it might be critiques. The art process needs critique, it really does. It's really part of it.
0: That's a really powerful insight and uh, a statement that you, you just shared. Uh, is it something you've thought of, or is it because we're on the show that it just came about? I just because I haven't it. heard that before.
1: <laughs> I just winged it. You no, <laughs> <laughs> winged it well. No, no, I'm kidding. No, but I'm that
0: kidding. was that was that was smoking.
1: No, you learned say. it. I've. You should see how many times we've been attempting to get a project approved through a planning department and for whatever reason it might be somebody on the planning board or it might be a neighbor or person in the public has some opposition and the only way you're going to get that project approved is go back and redesign they're they're basically saying we are not going to approve it for whatever reason and they, they know that they want, usually they want to compromise. It's usually like they want it smaller or fewer seats. It's usually shrinking it of some kind, but not always. And I don't, every time I've done that and somewhat mad about it, like, oh my God, why didn't they love it? It's like I worked so hard. But it's really common. You go back and you look at it again and you come up with something that's better. And you never would have gotten there without that without that critical thoughts and pushback you just wouldn't you wouldn't have needed to you wouldn't have gone there and that's how you learn it same with clients you'll present something they'll be like I don't really like it and then you'll go okay I gotta figure out how to make them like it (laughs) I always tell friends when they if they don't hire me or something or they're just talking about hiring a designer or an architect for something they're like what's what's the what's some good advice and I'll go here's some good advice the first few times they meet with you just don't really like it too much. Make them go back and try harder. <laughs> don't be in genuine too much, but I'm like, make them, make them try. You're like, really? God, that could be me. And I'm like, no, you're asking for my advice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. This is tremendous Cass. You're listening to the architecture and innovation podcast. We're talking today with Cass Calder Smith founding principal, of Cass Calder smith Architecture and Interiors. Our uh, public service announcement for today's show is the Jurassic Resident Artist Program, and that is... Brief description is uh, they're recognized internationally for their preeminence as an artist residency. They strive to provide the best possible residency experience for artists of superior talent from a diverse range of backgrounds and geographical locations. Their uh, website is jerasi.org, and that's spelled D-J-E-R-A-S-I dot org. Cash, can you share why uh, that organization means much to you? Glad to. When I was
1: young, when I was around 12 when we moved from new york to california my mom moved us to a commune off the grid in the santa cruz mountains above woodside between like woodside and half moon bay there were large ranches there and one of our neighbors was neil young and the other one was Ugh. carl Gerassi. uh carl jirassi is the famous chemist that invented the birth control pill so anyhow he had this property and his son i got to know dale was a few years older than me but then many years later I bumped into Dale and it was like wow wow you you so then we became good friends and then the Jurassic residence artist program it started up after Carl had uh um turned it into from a ranch to this program and then then when they wanted they wanted to expand it by four buildings there's a little bit of a skew there towards writers not much it's visual artists and choreographers and this and that, but because Carl's wife, Diane Middlebrook, was a literature professor at Stanford and she was involved, it it had some writing. So they wanted to create four more spots and they wanted them to be for writers. So they, I said, Dale, look, you're you're going to have me design those. There's like no option here. <laughs> he said, You're right. <laughs> so the board had to formally approve it. But any, so I designed the four studios. They thought they were going to get a building. I gave them four instead. I didn't think one building with like a hallway in the back that would feel more like a motel. Anyhow, so I did that. And then afterwards, they said, Do you want to be on our board? And I was like, Sure, that'd be great. Um, and so I joined the board. So that's. And then it was a memorial building, too, because Diane Middlebrook, unfortunately, had passed away. And Carl's idea wasn't only expand the program by four, but it was to be
0: a memorial to her. So it was both. Excellent. Architecture is like a religion. Share with that what you, uh, what you meant by that.
1: Yeah. Um, well, maybe some of it is just the amount of time you do it. Not not over your lifetime, although I guess you could apply, but the amount of time you do it every day. You know, most architects, including me, work at least 12 hours a day, six days a week, maybe seven. We work a lot of nights. And the only way I think you can do that is either you're scared to death <laughs> or you're, it's just part of your life. It's just the way you think and do things. Running your own business has a little to do with that too. It takes some extra time. Um but you just realize when you're out in the world, it you know, it just seems like identity and the things you like are tied to it. Nothing against accountants, but I don't think accountants when they're out on vacation think about being an accountant. That's a job. Right? I like my accountant.
0: <laughs> I like that. Speaking of that, the business of architecture, what's your thought on the business of architecture? Yeah, great
1: question. Um, It's typically not a very good business field. Uh, It's relatively underpaid. and I mean, it's much less pay than most professions compared to lawyers and doctors and even contractors. It's at the low end. But it's... It's always been that way, and it's because we we give away a lot of time because we're dedicated to creating something really good, and it just usually takes more time than we can get paid for. It's just out of whack. But we all know that starting with school, nobody goes into this to get wealthy. It's a decent living, and if you're good at running a business at the same time, I've always kind of been a little bit entrepreneurial ever since I was a little kid, it it helps and it's it's not that hard to make a good living being an architect you got to you got to get lucky and have a lot of clients you got to do business development you got to manage and you know how to hire and fire you you, and you learn it i mean i don't know who went to business school to become an architect you just you just learn on the fly but it's a it's a hard one I mean, you know, architects all the time say, God, if I worked this hard on Wall Street or this or that, I'd be so rich. Nobody's in it for the money. And then, you know, a lot of other people are just like, God, I wish I could be an architect. I just think that must be the greatest job in the world. It's pretty fun
0: to get paid to draw. I like <laughs> that. What would you like to share, Cass, with your audience that we may not have talked about or you, you, something that's been uh, recent since the last couple of years we uh, got together? um well
1: it's great to be back in the office full time with my entire company which is about 20 people spread out over two offices being able to collaborate easily and quickly like right before this uh three of us were just two of us were sitting in my conference room and another one came in and before we knew it we were just talking about a a food hall we're doing and uh that's it's just nice it's nice to i nice used to get up and get out of the house i really encourage everybody to get back to the get back to their desks and their offices it's pretty topical everything it's in the news and and on and on so i i think we we work in a certain field where that's much more important than uh some people maybe accountants again you know they can more easily <laughs> sit at their home and work on their computer all day. And I still think they should go to the office. Again, I like my
0: accountant. (laughs) I loved it. This is awesome. Cass, it's been a real honor and pleasure having you again here today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the architecture and innovation podcast. Our guest today has been Cass Calder Smith, founding principal of Cass Calder Smith architecture and interiors. Their firm believes in the masterful design It is unique, relevant, and timeless. For more information, feel free to visit their website at cascaldersmith.com. Our show is recorded on location and from the offices of Sierra Cloud and Redmond, Washington. Executive producer and host is yours truly, Tom Dioro. And our chief audio engineer is Eris Chikopoulos. We look forward to you joining us again next time. Thank you for listening to our show. Cereclad is a high-performance fiber cement siding system in one size with triple coat technology and 365 days of self-cleaning, along with a 20-year fade limited warranty. Cereclad also offers hundreds of design options. For more information, feel free to visit Cereclad.com.